0: Feral Audio If you like anything in popular music now, anything in popular music, and I'm talking even easy listening, even Barry Manilow, pretty much anything on the radio, okay, the people you have to thank were once considered to be the absolute scum of the <laughs> earth. <laughs> Baby,
1: what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you wanna say, you're gonna die one day. For example, I can kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time? Think about your reputation, try to meet an expectation. One
2: Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. I stand before you today, a sinner, but there's not a big problem with being a sinner in the United States, because in fact, sinners are the ones who have really made this country interesting. It's the whores, the drunks, the, uh, fornicators, the troublemakers, the shitrakers, the muckrakers, the shit stirrers. Those people are the ones that have really made this country interesting Uh, And today's guest is going to tell us all about that. His name's Thaddeus Russell. He's a renegade historian. He's, in fact, he wrote the renegade, ah, sorry, uh, renegade history of the United States. Very interesting book. Uh, I read it a few years ago. As soon as I heard about it, I ordered it right away. I think I was working on Sex at Dawn at the time and and was looking for interesting tidbits to slip in there. Um, And I'm sure I found some because... Uh, the vision of particularly colonial America that Thaddeus lays out in his book is unlike, (laughs) unlike the bullshit that you've heard and I've heard in school and on TV. And, you know, the founding fathers were like sitting around with powdered wigs being, you know, fine, upstanding gentlemen, except for all the whores and the drinking and the drugs and everything else that was going on. In other words, what you get with uh, Thaddeus Russell is a full bodied history of the United States. You get, uh, it's full of surprises, it's full of scandal, and uh, it's, you know, blood, shit, spit, all that stuff that uh, mucus, the things that make the world go round. Um, So uh, check out the interview. I hope you enjoy it. And if you're intrigued by, his vision of things, I hope you'll pick up a copy of his book, A Renegade History of the United States. It's available on Amazon and wherever fine books are sold. This episode of Tangentially Speaking is brought to you by, of course, Sure Design T-shirts. See, I'm not going to forget this week. I'm going to start with Shore Design T-shirts. Uh, check them out. You can get these, tangentially speaking, shirts and or hoodie at chrisryanphd.com. Um, and also the Sex of Dawn funky cool design uh, is also available at chrisryanphd.com. Go to the store and you'll see them all there. Uh, now, but uh, sure design t-shirts.com has many designs in addition to those i just mentioned uh very cool uh they've got the tree of life they've got all kinds of buddha designs they've got funky uh asian asian you know the 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 yin yang symbols and all sorts of cool stuff they're printed in thailand the guy who owns the company is super cool um gives a lot of money to charity i won't get into specifics Uh, i don't want to embarrass him but uh he's a good guy he's uh he's got a lot of heart he's very generous and uh i don't know how he makes any money with what he's charging for these shirts but somehow he does and he spreads it around so good for him and uh if you buy stuff from him you can be pretty sure that some of your money's going somewhere other than the bar uh, anyway, so sure design t shirts now, in addition to the ever present sure design t shirts, this week we're sponsored by Squarespace, squarespace.com, where you can design your own damn web page amazingly using really cool templates. I mean, you start off even before you've done a damn thing, you start off with a really good looking website. It just they, they're so the templates are so attractive that it's like you know, all you're really doing is dressing the beautiful woman and/or man, depending what you're into. Uh, but you start off with the body. The beautiful body's already there. The smile, the eyes, it's all there. You just pick the clothes. Just add the clothes. The clothes being your content, of course. So squarespace.com, very cool, super um, attentive customer service. Which, let's face it, that's what we're really worried about with these things, because all of us feel. Uh, a little intimidated at least you know anyone over 25 probably feels a little intimidated you don't know what you're getting into of course they tell you it's going to be easy but then you pay your money and you get into it and it's a giant pain in the ass and you end up never going again kind of like a gym right uh but it's not like that they are there they are you know if you have any problem you open a ticket and within 24 hours you hear from them and as i think i said in the previous uh spot last week they not only answer your email I, i've probably had i don't know half a dozen issues you know where i've i've needed to ask for help and most of them they not only answer they send a little video so it's like look here's what you do here's how you do it and it's couldn't be simpler so squarespace check it out very cheap if you um if you use the the tangent one uh, the code the discount code you get 10 percent off in addition to uh, the discount that you already get if you do uh, an annual thing, like you pay one year up front. I think it's I think it's eight bucks a month, right? If you it's like ninety six, and then you get ten percent off, so you end up it's really cheap. And if you do that one year thing, they throw in the URL, which costs fifteen twenty bucks, whatever. They throw that in free too, so it's a pretty pretty uh, cost effective way to get yourself a website. Uh, And it's fun. It's a lot of fun to put it together. So check them out. Squarespace.com. Mentions this week. uh, Got some donations. Got some really cool emails. Megan Mitleider. Thank you. Thank you. El Mudo, que me ha escrito en, en español, que también se llama Abraham. Thank you. And uh, who else? What what is this? Uh, I'm just looking at these now. There's another one from a very uh, generous donation from Arruheya. Not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, In Belgium. Wow. Cool. Thank you. Belgium. Belgium. I I tweeted a very interesting article this week from Belgium. I'll get to that in just a second. Um, But I don't want to forget to mention Brian in Portland. Now, you know you might wonder, why do I do this podcast? It takes a lot of time. uh I'm supposed to be doing lots of other things, writing a book. <laughs> I hope my editor's not listening to this. Uh, I'm like two years behind on that book. I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it um, you know why why do I do the podcast what's it you know what's the point? Well, one thing is I get to talk to really interesting people like Thaddeus Russell. You'll see he's a fascinating guy um but also. It's just amazing, the people around the world who are listening to this. It's just really mind-blowing. I'm sitting here in my parents' dining room by myself with a computer open in front of me and a bottle of uh, Naked Booster something, Blue Machine. Just me, my computer, and a bottle of Blue Machine. Um, But, man, people in Belgium are listening to this. It just blows my mind. People in Australia and Sweden, you know, and this isn't even a particularly big podcast. Uh, the numbers are going up, though. I'm happy to say, uh, cumulatively in a year, we're pushing seven hundred thousand downloads. Uh, Twenty five to thirty at this point per episode, and of course, people who get turned on to it often go back and listen to the archives. So you never know what the numbers will end up being. Um. So it's very cool, but anyway, so so it's just great to be connecting with people all over the world, and uh, you know, I hear from some of them. I'm sure a lot of them I'll never hear from, but you're out there. Hello, uh, hi, I know you're out there, and thanks for listening. Uh, but check this out. I get this email from a guy named Brian. Okay, and he says, "I uh, hope this finds you well." And he mentions a couple of things that that I've mentioned on the podcast. He says, "I caught you on Duncan's podcast, then Rogan's, and I've been listening to yours." I love the guests. Conversations are great. Uh, Yada, yada, yada. I hear you're moving to Portland. Hey, I'd love to have you over for dinner, show you around some of my favorite hikes. Uh, And my family and I are going out of town in August. And maybe you want to house sit and, you know, take over our house in August. This is a guy I've never met, right? This is a guy who I guess has kind of met me, but I've never met him. And he's offering me his house. I mean, how cool is that, Right. Just, just beautiful. I mean, I'm really touched by this kind of stuff. Amazing. So, anyway, that's why I do the damn podcast. Uh, Belgium. What was I going to say about Belgium? Oh, I saw this crazy article, which I downloaded, um, you know, to use for my uh, for the book about the way mental health is taught in Belgium. If you follow me on Twitter, which I hope you do, Chris Ryan PhD, or at Chris Ryan PhD, I guess it is. Um, you'll see the tweet, um, but if not, you can just—it's on Aon Aeon Magazine, a e o n dot com or dot co, I guess it is, and it's about a, a town called Giel, Geel, G e e l. So if you just Google G e e l and A e o n, you'll get to the article. It's written by Mike J, and it's about a little town. This town keel or gel or however it's pronounced in belgium uh that welcomes mentally ill people into the town traditionally this has been going on since the medieval period um and they they're welcomed into homes they're not institutionalized they're welcome into homes and this is the way that mental health is treated in this town. It's a very interesting article and it really makes you think about the way we in the West treat the mentally ill compare what we call the mentally ill compared to the way many other societies um, have treated them. Uh, In the book, I I'm writing about the way some shamanic hunter gatherer societies deal with things like schizophrenia. Again, what we call schizophrenia Uh, what they would call being called to shamanize in many cases. Um, They see it as a potentially incredibly valuable um, calling. We see it as a broken brain, essentially. Um, So that's one of the things I'm writing about. But I wasn't aware that there was a tradition of this in the Western world that dates back to uh, medieval times. And uh, next time we're in Europe, maybe Cassie and I will go visit this town and, uh, and check it out personally so i can i can write about it uh, on a personal level um anyway uh thaddeus russell you can check him out at his webpage which is thaddeusrussell.com t h a d d e u s russell r o r u s s e l l .com uh super interesting guy and the day I did this this interview with Thaddeus, we began uh with him interviewing me on reason t v uh and then after that interview we uh you know we got a drink uh you know took a squirt, and then came back and did my podcast so if you'd like to see the t v interview, which is about twenty seven minutes long of me and Thaddeus. It's on YouTube. I guess just go to YouTube and, uh, they called it. We're all perverts. I guess that must be something I said in the interview. Ill advised. Uh, we're, yeah, just go to YouTube and either Google my name and Thaddeus Russell, or we're all perverts. And you'll see the, uh, the TV interview. It's got 33,000 hits. That's pretty good. Um, all right. So, Is there anything else I have to say? I'm a little nervous because I'm recording this on the zoom using the battery and there's only one bar. And the worst thing about the zoom is that if the battery dies and I'm, you know, 20 minutes into recording, the whole recording's lost. It doesn't, you know, record as it goes. So I'm sort of, uh, you know, driving home in the middle of the night country road and the gas tank is on reserve. So I have no idea how much is left. Uh, Anyway, very. It's been a very cool week. I uh, was. I did a podcast with Duncan and Joe Rogan. Uh, we just did one on Joe's like uh, two weeks ago or something uh, on the Joe Rogan Experience, which Joe said got amazing numbers, great response, and we had so much fun that afterwards, uh, Joe was like why don't we just do this regularly like once a month why don't we just get together the three of us we could start a whole new podcast and it would just be our thing and all that um and then i guess joe and duncan were talking and they they decided like why well, why start a new podcast why don't we just do a rotating thing where one week we do joe or one month we do joe's then the next month we do duncan's then we'll do chris's then back blah, 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 we'll go around you know which is great for me because, of course, you know both those guys have uh, much larger audience numbers than I do, so um, that can only help help me to bring more people to tangentially speaking. So anyway, we did uh, we did it with on Duncan's at Duncan's house last week. Today's Monday. Uh, I imagine Duncan will post that today, tomorrow, sometime this week. So uh, yeah, check it out if you if you want to hear us. Going on about whatever the hell it is, we went on about I can't remember now, uh, but it was it was long. It's like two and a half hours or something of of the three of us raging. So that that'll be on the Duncan Trussell Family Hour. Uh, that's it. I got oh one more sponsor, like a sponsor in the making. Uh, on dot com. Uh, Aubrey Marcus. Some of you may know him and his company. Uh, we we met. I did his podcast. He did mine. I haven't posted it yet, but I've got it uh, ready to roll one of these weeks. And, um, you know, we were talking about his stuff. And, you know, uh, he asked if I'd be interested in sponsoring. And, if, yeah, I'm always happy to, to talk about it. But I've never used his stuff. You know, I've never used these supplements. And I'm kind of – I'm a little – Skeptical about uh, supplements and stuff, but I'm into the, the workout stuff. So he sent me a couple of, um, geez, I don't even know what they're called. These, these massive, super heavy sticks that you swing around, uh, circular strength training, the world's first club swinging class. Okay. So that's, he sent me a couple of clubs. So I'm going to be swinging clubs around. Hope I don't break anything and trying out his supplements and hemp force and alpha brain and whatever else he sent me and uh you know if i notice any positive effects then i'll talk about it if if i don't i probably won't so um you know i don't know i'm not a very good tester of things like this cuz i don't think i'm particularly sensitive i you know i don't really notice like some days i feel better than others and i don't know what to attribute it to it just you know i've just always sort of ignored it and Forged ahead. But anyway, we'll see how that goes. So you might be hearing me uh, wax poetic about onit.com in the future. Okay, I believe that's it. I've talked about the emails, the wonderful donations, and Thaddeus Russell. Now I will stop bothering you and I will. Go ahead and let you listen to this. As always, many thanks to the great Carcy Blanton uh, for Smoke Alarm. Listen to the words to that song. I just played a little of it at the beginning, but you get the whole song at the end. Listen to the words. It's uh, very profound, very beautiful, as is she. You can check her out at com. Uh, she's got like a free, well, not free, but a, a tip jar kind of system. So if you want to download some of her music, um, you know, drop a few coins in her virtual tip jar and she's happy, uh, as you will be cause her, her stuff's great. All right. Thanks a lot. Ciao. All right. Welcome to another edition of tangentially speaking. This is going to be a good one. I'm here with, uh, Thaddeus Russell, who is a historian an historian a historian what do you say
0: an historian you
2: go with so the an you're a pretentious son of a bitch aren't you all right <laughs> no
0: either actually I'm, I'm kidding we don't actually
2: care <laughs> i'm never sure about that the an it's actually uh, a
0: is actually preferred is kidding. it yeah oh, okay. a historian but you're not a historical I am definitely not a historian.
2: All right, cool. And I
0: still like you. Everything's fine.
2: Uh, everything's fine. We're, we're 33 seconds into it, and everything's still fine. That's good. Uh, okay, Thaddeus Russell, he teaches American Studies at Occidental College, which is where Obama got high. It is indeed. And did not get busted, did not go to prison, did not have his entire life ruined, as many young black Americans have because for doing him. exactly the damn same damn thing. Because of him. That's right. I also got high in college and did not get busted and did not go to prison and did not have my political career ruined. Um are you calling the president a hypocrite,
0: or are you saying what are you what?
2: Yeah, well, actually, I heard. I think it was is yesterday. I heard Eric Holder saying they're they're seriously looking at sentencing changes. Oh well, they've, <laughs> they've said
0: they've they've said that since he was running in two thousand seven. Um, but you know, I think the, what I just saw is that I think he's eighty times there are 80 percent more prosecutions for marijuana under Obama than under Bush. Oh really? Yes. That is the latest statistic. Oh, fuck yeah,
2: that's how that. that's how awesome he is. And Don't f- get me started on Obama, and or, f- or do? Yeah, well, we can do that. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I, I had an Obama T-shirt. I bought an Obama T-shirt. I. All right, Chris, this was great. I gotta go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we made it to a minute fifty-three. <laughs> um, anyway, listen. Uh, before we get into into Obama bashing. Um, the way I, I first came uh, across that was that I read your book, uh, A Renegade History of the United States, and I got to say, I fucking loved it. I really enjoyed it. Partly it's because I'm a... Wait, were you high? I probably uh, was well, for that, part of it. That often explains it. Yeah, and drunk for the other half. Um, no, but it's, it's my kind of uh, of history. It's... It's juicy. It's surprising. It's funny. It's um, actually, in a strange sort of way, it it gave me hope. It made me. Um, it, it brings the especially the colonial period. I mean, I just. I mean, it's uh, several years since I've read it. I, I read it uh, in Spain. I wish I had it with me. I would uh, pull out my notes and stuff. Um, but I found it very engaging because it it. Brings it all to life: the the colonial period, the pre slavery period, the way you talk about, uh, I think was it Philadelphia, the, like the you know the hookers and the blacks and the whites were together and interracial relationships. And so, can we talk a little bit about the difference between the way we are, you know, the sort of mainstream vision of colonial America versus the way it really was? No,
0: not yet. First of all, I have to tell you something. Okay. So our books came out the same time, basically 2010. Ah, oh, okay. <clears throat> uh, and yours came out, and uh, I got an email from the first person I ever had sex with, my college girlfriend, and she said, "You need to read Sex at Dawn. You will <laughs> love it. It is exactly what you're talking about." And really? I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, and then I got several more emails and phone calls from other people saying just the same thing.
2: Um, Also people you'd had sex with?
0: um, Well, so that woman caused my divorce, Chris, because she started sending me photos of us together when I was in college, and it wasn't so much I wanted to be with her, but I wanted to be free
2: again. This was subsequent to her reading This was reading right around
0: the same time, so oh. I wanted to be free again, um, and of course, college was this wonderful period of freedom, in particular sexual freedom.
2: Uh, and you went to Antioch. And I went to Antioch, yeah.
0: where everybody was fucking everybody else, um, and it was quite wonderful. So I had this just huge wave of nostalgia, which in some ways triggered the Process that culminated in my getting a divorce. So I think it's your fault, first of all, um, or or <laughs> you, I'm giving you credit for it. I don't know. Well, thank anyway. Thank you. I'm, wow, I'm a I'm a freer divorced man. Well, that's a surprise. And uh, somehow you, I don't know if it's somehow you're in there, but uh, it is. Your book yeah. is your book is so your book is to me it is liberation because it says you know. Your perversion, whatever it is, and we all have them, is not unnatural. And I think that is sort of the first step in human liberation is freeing us from these moral and legal proscriptions on our behavior that are justified through this ridiculous argument that such and such is natural or unnatural. Ask ask any gay person about this, right? They'll tell you what that's all about, right? Because gays were considered to be unnatural for a long, long time and punished viciously for that. So, you know... Solidarity, brother. Thank right. you. For, thank you for your book, and I appreciate. Um, I appreciate what you've said about mine. And thanks for having me on. So yes, wow. you want to talk about hookers and blacks and Irish and drunks
2: in Philadelphia?
0: <laughs> we can do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, given the fact that you know my father is from Philadelphia, oh. Irish. Is he, uh, is he a drunk and a black too? He was till, huh. till he had his liver transplant. Mm-hmm. You know that sort of put a damper on the drunkenness. Yeah. Um, That's the downside. Yeah, yeah. I you know I think well. Who was it? Was it uh, was it Howard Zinn? I, I wanted to talk to you about Howard Zinn yeah, as sure. well. It's, I, I, oh, no, it was um, uh, Shadow Dancing in the USA, Michael Ventura. You ever read that? No. Really interesting kind of hipster writer. I mean, he's older now. He's probably in his 60s. He was like more of a hippie than a hipster, I guess, but intellectual. He wrote this great essay called Hear That Long Snake Moan, and it's about – um, the origins of jazz and rock and roll in syncretic religions of the Caribbean, uh, with the West African influence, and you know the whole Voodoo tradition coming up through New Orleans and Jelly Roll Morton, and you know all this kind of stuff. I, I quote him a little bit, "Insects at Dawn," on uh, the fact that like rock and roll originally meant to fuck, mm-hmm. right? And all the black people knew that, but the white DJs didn't. Mm-hmm. So ro- we're gonna rock around the clock tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't about dancing. You know, mm-hmm. and And what are some other juicy tidbits from there? The um, funk comes from a West African word meaning mufunke, which refers to positive sweat. The sweat you get from dancing or fucking, but not from working. Uh, Jazz and jism come from the same root, meaning to ejaculate. Um, So it's got that kind of stuff. And when I read your book, it was like, wow, that's the same kind of thing. It's like a... You know, it's a no holds barred. Uh, you know, it's it's the party of history. It's the 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 juicy the the you know you a renegade, but it's it's beyond renegade. It's it's um, pleasure. Right. It shows the people. I think we think of our ancestors as not having a good time. You know, because a lot of American, you know, the American historical sort of settlers and the fucking puritans and the you know the swedes in minnesota and yeah, like they weren't getting down a lot mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but uh, you show that there was a lot of down getting going yeah. on
0: okay so here it is here's, yeah. here's the story Lay it right. out. so if you like anything in popular music now anything in popular music and i'm talking even easy listening even barry Manilow pretty much anything on the radio okay the people you have to thank were once considered to be the absolute scum of the <laughs> earth. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. That's so that's the, the people who are responsible for everything on the radio, from Justin Timberlake to John Coltrane to Barry Manilow and everything in between, were blacks who were at the time considered to be what primitive jungle bunnies, right, right, who didn't know any better. They they weren't able to play classical music, so they invented this thing that was just screeching, honking, terrible, of course, god-awful sexual noise, right? It was terrible. Jazz was considered to be those things when it was created. If you look at right. all of the discourse around how jazz was described in respectable culture in the 1910s and 1920s, when Louis Armstrong and company were creating that music, that is what was said about it. Right? It was awful. It was the end of American civilization, right? <laughs> and actually, one of the things I say is, yes, they were right. It was the, yeah, the it end was of that American that civilization, civilization. Thank yeah. God, right? Yeah. Um, so, you have, so you have those Terrible niggers to thank, first of all, right? And you also have criminals to thank, gangsters, really bad people. Mm. Louis Armstrong's very first paycheck as a trumpeter was given to him by a guy named Joe Matranja in New Orleans. The Sicilian mafiosi came to New Orleans. They were That was the first place where Sicilians came in large numbers and the mafiosi came with them. And what did they do? They saw a business opportunity, right? Because respectable really? white people wouldn't, weren't going to invest in that shitty nigger music.
2: So the mafia came so the mafia up said, "Hey, New you Orleans. know what I
0: think this music might be popular So they yeah. opened all these clubs and bars in New Orleans, and they said, "Hey, come over here, nigger." give you some right, money, right. play your goddamn music. I don't care what it sounds like, but apparently some people like it. right? And one of those people was Louis Armstrong in the 1910s and 20s. So he was given his very first money to play trumpet by, by a Sicilian mafioso. Um, and all the clubs and bars in New Orleans that you know spawned that music, which is now, what is, what is jazz now called? It is called America's Classical Music. <laughs> right? And at the Kennedy Center Awards, every single year <laughs> yeah. now, pretty much, uh, some yeah. one of those jazz guys who used to be a primitive disgusting nigger, right, is given a national award, right? (laughs) So, um, so yes. So, uh, niggers, and I think that word needs to be used. It's very important. Yeah, I was going to ask most, you about that. You're not shying it's away. It's the from most it. important word in American history. That is white, by the way. Yes, I, will. I don't know if you can tell, Christ if you he can Christ. hear. I was hoping I could get away with that. <laughs> no, it's the most important word in American history, and if we don't talk about it in a, huh? ser- in a serious way, seriously, uh, we will not
2: understand American most history. Most important? Why? Because it was used to to hold people down and because to it was shame. used
0: to structure the way we think about what America is. Right. not fundamental. So there is. Right. There is being a good American, which has always meant being white. Right. So white, we can talk about white. And, and not Irish. And not Irish early on. That's right. And um, not all these other things. But pr- fundamentally, it was about not being black and all the things that were associated with blackness. So whiteness and blackness, and I'm not the first person to say this, right? That's really the fun- most fundamental structure of our culture. Yeah. There are good things which were always historically associated with white people or whiteness. Things like the Puritan work ethic, uh-huh. this ridiculous idea that work in itself, no matter what what you get for it no matter how degrading the work is is a good godly and virtuous thing
2: and that's still running strong oh, absolutely Un- unbelievable it's still central
0: it's still central that's right so that was always associated with white people well white people did invent that idea so we do give them <laughs> the credit or the blame for that um, and the nuclear family ethic, you know, big yeah. thing for you, right? Um, the idea that you can't be happy, you can't live a natural, good, fulfilled life unless you were in a nuclear family and a monogamous marriage for your entire fucking life, right? Yeah. Which is still also central in this culture, right? So those two things, those are to me the twin pillars of American culture from huh. the beginning to now, those were always racialized. Right. Still are to some extent, to a large extent, right? But they were explicitly said to be white things is what white people do and that wasn't entirely false because those crazy repressive awful ideas were in fact invented by white upper class men in northern Europe and America right so those were white that's good <clears throat> and then blackness <laughs> is the stuff that all of us love either secretly or openly. Mm. That's, the only, that's the only choice we have is whether to enjoy it secretly or right. openly, right? So now it's not like you know, black people invented these things, but they didn't have quite the shame about them that whites did for a lot of reasons we can talk about having to do with slavery, but we'll get into that in a second. So things like you know the idea that a woman having sex outside of marriage is not necessarily shameful. It just is. Right. right? So if you look at slaves, and studies have been done about their attitudes about that, they just didn't have that idea. That having marriage, having sex outside of marriage was just fine, whatever. It was just nothing. There was, no, there was no shame to it. They didn't have this idea that work in itself was godly, and that, of course, was partly because there was no incentive for their work, right? But it was also that it wasn't – that idea – this is important – did not exist in West Africa. <laughs> Right, it, this is a Northern Europe. It didn't even exist in Italy, right, or Spain, or mm. Greece, or still doesn't. Parts of Germany, right, still yeah. doesn't. That's right. Yeah. This is a very, very tiny pop part of the population. Right, had this idea. West Africans didn't have this idea. So when slaves got here, they were like, "What? Work is only a necessary means to another end. That is it. It is nothing more than that. It should be treated as anything else, right?" So that explains, I think, why this glorious freedom-loving music like jazz comes from that people. Right. Of course. Right. So they were they were excluded from citizenship. They were excluded from Americanness, they were excluded from whiteness. Now that's often seen as a bad thing. Right? Segregation. And, of course, segregation had a lot of bad elements to it. Right? Everyone wants access to the bus seat and the drinking fountain. Right? But it also meant that they were forcibly excluded from all this stuff that was viciously repressive. Sexual repression. Uh-huh. This idea that you must work and never have sex. Right? This idea that you must be in a nuclear family forever. All this that, that, mus- that, that music that moves the body is wicked right yeah. they, they didn't they had no reason to buy into that because they couldn't
2: that's so interesting you're, remi- you're making me think of judaism and how the jews were in europe uh excluded from owning property mm. and so on and so forth and so they found a way to survive that involved you know money changing money lenders jewelry you know things that they could take with them so by not allowing them to live the way everyone else was living, they had to adapt, and they, yeah. they discovered a certain kind of richness. There was a very prominent yeah. social science
0: book written by an academic sociologist yeah. in the early 20th century, the title of which was The Jew is a Negro. Hmm they were called white niggers when they got here yeah. because they had a lot of these ideas or a lack
2: of ideas. And you know what else? There was a, a, a in in Germany particularly and in, in other parts of Europe, there was the idea that the Jews were sexually unrestrained right. and had big penises and that if a, if a proper woman had sex with a Jew, she'd never go back to a regular right. white guy.
0: So here's my problem with liberals. So, right, when we what happens is when <laughs> some group is accused of being sexually unrestrained, liberals often pretend that they're not, <laughs> right? Is there right. this reflex? Because what they're doing yeah, is they're, con- into they're the conceding, shame. they're yeah. conceding the major point, which is that sexual <laughs> restraint is a good thing. Right. This is why I live to fuck with liberals. But um, <laughs> so yeah, so, ju- so when I say when <laughs> I do you t- have tenure, I tell hell no, and I know you get it because of this. <laughs> uh, you're supposed to wait? Yeah. So when I so ten What year I tell people is, you know, if you're ever called a nigger or sexually unrestrained or primitive. Or a whore or a slut say, thank you very much
2: yeah. for the compliment. Right. You repressed, uptight fucker. Right. Or non-fucker. As the That's case exactly may be. right. What Your PhD is in history, right? <laughs> what, what did you write your dissertation about?
0: Well, about something totally different. Um, yeah. I, was a la- I started out as a labor historian because I started out in um, you know being a good progressive socialist um, I wanted to be a, basically write history as activism, and you know, to do that, you had to write, write about labor and class, and which is all fine and important. But um, I wrote about Jimmy Hoffa and the ah. Teamsters.
2: Yeah. Well, maybe you can answer this question. I, I tweeted about this recently yeah. when they were. I do not know where he's buried. But why does anyone give a shit?
0: <laughs> why is it national it's, news? It's like, a, oh, they're digging up a it's field. It's a good question because you know I I have yet to meet anyone under the age of thirty five who's even heard of him. Right. Um, he, was some, he was the head of the Teamsters. But it was a big deal. In fact, I, well, so he has this sort of mythology around him because of his associations with the mob. There have been two movies, two biopics about Hoffa. One starring Sylvester Stallone and one starring Jack Nicholson, hmm. you know um, the range. fact that he's ne- you know there's always there's still a mystery um, he was well the important thing is to understand is that people over for for people over forty, Jimmy Hoffa was one of the most important Americans of the twentieth century for a lot of reasons I mean he was kind of the the anti hero of the labor movement, and hmm. a lot of liberals hated him, which is one of the reasons i don 't like him, but then one of the reasons I want to sort of defend some of the things he did but that's that's old that's ancient history in terms of my career. Um, and yeah. I've moved on from labor history. I'm much less interested in it now for a lot of reasons. But um, but I did move in that Partly book. When that I wrote the labor that book, movement's dead in this yeah, country. Yeah, right. That's yeah. one reason. Uh, but I did in that book, though, I did move toward questions of culture uh, and popular culture. So I did look at his representations in movies um, and of truck drivers in movies generally. And Truck and, drivers? Yeah, there's a lot of movies about truck drivers that were sort of interesting.
2: Um, so Do you know the story of the history of the Barbie doll? Related to truck
0: drivers? No, but my ex wife knows the family that invented it. The, the doll. Uh,
2: what's the name? The, the company? Hasbro? Is that Hasbro? Yeah, I guess it's the. I think. The, anyway. Yeah, what about. So truck drivers and. Well, Barbie. The, the guy. One of the guys who invented are you, the Are Barbie. you about to tell
0: me this is something about
2: masturbation? Kind of. Yeah. It's <laughs> their sex, yeah. Uh, his name was Jack Ryan. Uh, And the reason uh, my last name is Ryan. I read his obituary in the New York Times. Jack Ryan. Oh, who's that? Boom. Jack Ryan uh, worked at Raytheon. Helped. He was a a brilliant engineer. He uh, helped in the development of the guidance system for the Minuteman missile. Great guy. Great guy. Quit that. Went to work for Hasbro or Mattel or whatever the toy company was that that made the Barbie doll, um, because he knew the wife of the owner or something. They were friends, right? So he became, like, head of production or something at at this toy company. Jack Ryan was a libertine, an unrepentant, unapologetic libertine. He loved
0: strippers. He's getting better. Yeah, he
2: loved strippers, hung out in strip bars, whorehouses, all that. Um, And uh, he had this idea that truckers were, like, lonely dudes, right? So he made this doll based on the you know his idealized image of a stripper that's why she's got huge tits you know proportionally and all this that they would put on the dashboard of their truck <laughs> To, like, have a, you know, a shapely woman. Kind of like, you know, the mud flaps. They've got the woman on the mud flaps, you know. So, it was all this thing. So, Barbie dolls were marketed to truck drivers. Huh. And then, I guess, some truck drivers' daughters were like, oh, give me a Barbie. So, you know, it's sort of like it wasn't originally for little girls at all. It was originally for horny, lonely truckers. Jack Ryan, look it up. Hey. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't cool. know that. I
0: feel like I, I wrote a bad book now. Like, so <laughs> well, it's a little juice. PhD. That was my it's dissertation, too. should juice. take away my PhD. And it might be pure bullshit i don't know i well, mean, actually it, who i'll tell you what so academics generally historians in particular and columbia historians which is where i was they, oh you went to they, columbia oh, god yeah oh, so you've they're... been
2: just following obama all yeah, over yeah. the place so we're
0: going in reverse you're the though. white obama no we're going in reverse i'm going to end up in the indonesia in hawaii well, oh. yeah, In <laughs> <laughs> indonesia and retire yeah. in
2: kansas i guess is what uh, I yeah. where his grandparents are from into a white woman's vulva yeah, yeah. right yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No. um Oh, so they're very, yeah, so they're very conservative about popular culture and culture generally, especially Colombia. But, you know, first of all, a lot of historians, not all, but many historians sort of dismiss popular culture as as unimportant. It's just not what's going on. What they're interested in is economics and institutions and government and generals and presidents and and that's the series. That's what really makes history. Mm. And I used to believe that stuff and now I'm just the opposite. I think that... um, Culture, generally, you know, broadly defined and ideas, um, are absolutely what make history. So if you look at law, right? So does law really control us or do cultural norms control us? And I lived in New York city for a long time and I tell my students that this, you know, I say, so have you ever been in New York city? You ever seen people jaywalk? In New York City. They're like, uh, yeah, everyone does like old ladies do and children do and everyone does all the time. And I said, well, you know, jaywalking is illegal in New York City, but it's just not enforced because why? Because there's no cultural norm upholding it. Right. Mm. People in New York City don't think that that law should be enforced. Therefore, it is not enforced. Right. Unless you're black. Um, even there. I mean, it's just it's so it's so widespread. It's, yeah. it's, it's
2: impossible for the cops to really enforce it because right. there is no culture. Or the anymore. beer in the, pl- in the paper bag. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah,
0: yeah, You can drink anything you want in a
2: paper right. bag. Right, Be- because nice.
0: enough people care about that. Yeah. Right? The, so and the, conversely, you know, when I first visited Seattle, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, had been living in New York for a long time. Yeah. And uh, there was a, I was at an intersection. There were a lot of people waiting on the curb with me. Including this homeless guy with a shopping cart. We were waiting on the curb and, you know, there wasn't a car coming for like, I swear, like a mile away. So I just, like a normal person should, as I am walking into the street. I get all the way halfway across the street and I realize I'm all alone. And I turn around, (laughs) everybody's staring at me like I'm crazy, including the homeless guy with a shopping cart. So there's a social norm upholding a law, right? Even a lot of people. So, um, yeah, so that's what the book's about. Actually, I'm much less interested in laws. I'm much more interested in repressive, restrictive norms, right? Social codes, hmm. ideas about the ways in which we should live.
2: Memes? Do you, do you use the meme, meme?
0: I just found out what meme meant about six months ago from the Internet. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, I guess in a way they're memes, right? They're things that they're ideas that get passed around. Yeah. Um, right? Um, and compete. And- I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that, that's the way of putting it now. But um, no, like, so the idea... That, um, women should, uh, be allowed to walk in public alone without a male chaperone, Mm -hmm. right? When I tell, when I tell people this now, they're like, yeah, are you crazy? And then I say, well, guess what? That didn't exist as an idea until the 20th century, right? Mm. Who are the only women to do that without shame before then prostitutes, Street walkers. Street walkers. That's right. They were the first women, and you know, if you walked alone out in public on the street by yourself, you were a whore. Yeah, and still are in a lot of countries. Well, right. Yeah, Yeah. but but here it's just when I tell this to my you know my liberated feminist students, you know they can't believe it, right? And that goes for a lot of stuff, you know, not just walking alone in public, but wearing makeup. Only whores wore makeup. People are amazed by that. You know, the co- cosmetics industry was built around prostitution. It was their only customers. It was co- wearing lipstick, wearing rouge. That was only what whores did.
2: Lipstick. I read somewhere that lipstick originated in Egypt among hookers who specialized in oral sex. Yeah. It was a way of advertising that they
0: gave blowjobs. A great historian named Kathy Pice has written the history of this. Um, So yeah, it was all of what of lipstick of cosmetics. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. and, And how it was, it was basically, it was, it was the prostitutes badge until the 20th century. And then of course, you know, but
2: now every most, the vast majority of American women, so that ties into your earlier thesis about music. Again, it's Absolutely. It's, so you if you know, if you're red, a woman, it's the engine of a lot right. of social change comes from below, if we're going to Right. And, yeah. and, and way below
0: is what yeah. I'm saying, you know, the very quote-unquote worst people, right? So, yeah, I tell I tell women in my audiences, I say, if you if you like Walking alone in public, if you like wearing cosmetics, if you like wearing bright colors, so the, the color red was called the scarlet shame of the streetwalker, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you like showing any part of your body, any any skin at all, right, if you like... Earning wages comparable to or higher than men's wages, which is only prostitutes did that, right, because they can make a lot of money and yeah. when most women were consigned to the home or domestic work, right? If you like to own property, right, madams were the first property owners of any significance in the United States, brothel owners, right? If you like any of that stuff and you're a woman, you have whores to thank for that. Wow.
2: Here, here well good let's hear it for the horse yeah man all right
0: got a whole chapter on that um yeah which has actually been you know i was i I was actually worried about that chapter i thought that a lot of feminists would attack it and a lot of women but that has actually been my most popular chapter and in fact i mean among women in particular um it's gotten a lot of good response and i have not i've seen very some but very little well actually here's a good story so i get (laughs) most most women i've who've, who've heard the argument, right. Have heard, the, actually heard the argument, listened to it. have really liked it. Uh, with a couple of exceptions, I gave a talk in Portland, um, uh, about a year ago and I'm doing the whole prostitute thing and laying it all out. And I finish the talk and this woman raises her hand. She's been, she's kind of giving me the stink eye the whole time. And I'm, and I'm like, Oh shit. Here it comes. Is at a bookstore? This a is at a, it's at a college. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> she says, you know, I don't, I don't believe this, and I think the reason you wrote this book was so that you can get cheaper prostitutes. (laughs) (laughs) And I said to her, and I said, you're right. No, you're right, because those flights to Thailand can really add up. Yeah. Unbelievable. No, but I would say that no, I've been pleasantly surprised. I
2: you. love how I love how people like go straight for the motivation. Yeah, you know, like I don't believe that and assume that it's and assume that it's evil and assume you, the motivation is evil, right? right. And it's all it? because you're. I yeah. get that a especially lot, especially when you
0: you know? you're a straight white guy, which right. you know, it's not totally unjustified, but you know, it, what pisses me. I mean, if they hear sort of the headline of the argument, I understand, right? Yeah. But if I went through <laughs> the whole thing and there's a lot more about prostitutes, I haven't said here yet. So oh, it doesn't hold whole, back. There's yeah. a whole chapter. You know, of evidence and argumentation, which is you totally stock by the way. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. What a prick. Yeah. What a prick or that guy pricks. was. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, he basically made, you know, he made birth control uh, and pornography illegal for
2: many decades in this country. And did he have some secret, you know— I mean, we see getting enemas from little boys or something? I'm, I'm sure he's, you know, right. Every I mean, that's time you see those guys, you probably. Just, I mean, Kellogg, you know, Kellogg, sure. you know, like with proudly proclaimed, he'd never had sex with his wife, you right. know, and yet he got enemas every morning from, yeah. you know, strapping um, young guys. Right. So,
0: I mean, this, what we're talking about is the Victorian era, right? Um, the 19th century yeah. sort of from the 1830s, Victoria took, um, the, tr- the throne in the 1830s from then until sort of, mm, the uh, 20s. After World War One, yeah, yeah, the 20s. From then, you know, most you know, historians generally call that the Victorian era. I think yeah. they're right about it. So that is, among his, cultural historians, that is generally agreed to be the most repressive civilization in human history history. <laughs> one here and in England, right? You yeah. can't get more repressive than that. I think that modern Saudi Arabia
2: might be on the running, but even yeah. there in some ways it's not. Well, they're not putting little skirts on the table so you won't look at the table legs.
0: Yeah, well, so one of the one of the fastest growing industries in the early Victorian era was for devices that kept people from masturbating. Right. So, you know, like these metal mitts. Penis cages. Like clamps that held women's uh, legs oh, together. And penis cages. Unbelievable. On and on and on. It was a huge industry. Um, so that um, you know so that's uh, that's our puritan uh, our puritan ancestors talking um, which gets amplified in the 19th century
2: and yet sorry to interrupt yeah. you but i mean, we've got that sort of gets back to my earlier point that we've got almost like a two-tiered understanding of history because yes the victorian uh, upper class were quite repressed mm-hmm. but at the same time 80% of the people who weren't in the upper class were running like rabbits right
0: right so that's that's what the books about it's yeah. about that
2: what I call cultural
0: civil war which right. has been going on since the puritans got here. So, um,
2: Yeah, it's like looking at an ocean and saying, "Oh, yeah. well, all there is in an ocean are seals and ducks." You yeah, it's know? Interesting. that's when, all I see. When I do this
0: with my students, you know, I start with, you know, you can start with either one. It's either the hedonism of, of American culture or the puritanism of it. And I, you know, and I can say, "Okay, so this is a puritanical culture, right?" And they'll be like, "Oh, yeah, totally." And I'll say, "Okay, in what ways?" I'm like, "Well," and they're like, "Well, everybody talks about the work ethic." Yeah, I got that. And I write it on the board. And everybody talks about, you know, the nuclear family. I got that write it on the board. And, There's all this sexual repression, you know, slut shaming. I'm like, yep, that's right. Every president, every business leader, pretty much every school teacher plays that game, that puritanical game. That is what we are taught in what I call formal American culture. There's no doubt about that. That is a fundamentally puritanical culture still in many ways, no different than the Victorian era. So they're like, yeah. And then I stop and I pause and I say, is that it? Is that all America is? And they're like, "Uh," I say, have you ever – Walked outside. Have you ever looked at the Internet? Have you ever turned on a television? Have you ever listened to the radio? We are awash in hedonism, right, at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and they're just sort of like, God damn it, now what do I do? I don't understand this place at all. I didn't either understand that until I read an essay by a sociologist named Daniel Bell, uh, who died a couple of years ago. Very important sociologist, part of the what's called the New York intellectuals, who were very prominent in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Daniel Bell wrote an essay called The Cultural Contradictions of Capitalism. Hmm. I recommend it to everyone. It's not an easy read, but it is short. Or you can just listen to my summary. <laughs> oh, well,
2: then I'll, then I'll stop taking it, notes. I hope
0: I do justice to it. But here's, here, is how I, here is what I take as Bell's thesis. And I, it really, it changed my life. I mean, truly did. it. Really, I have, not, I have looked at the world, and this world in particular, American culture, differently ever since. So capitalism is this fascinating beast in that it produces two contradictory cultures, okay? So it needs work. It requires work, right, which, of course, requires intense self-discipline, right? So you know about, you know, pre-industrial societies and moving from that, moving from a farm where, Mm. you know, what gets you up in the morning on a farm? the sun yeah. or the chickens right. nature does and that changes all the time right seasonal yeah. right what does not get you up on that farm an alarm clock mm-hmm. that goes off at exactly the same fucking time every day right so it's actually intense violence that is done to the human body i mm-hmm. think through industrialization through capital that capitalist disciplining process right you have to get up at the same time every day that, that's just the beginning right then you got to go to this place which early on was a giant box factory full of noise and dangerous machinery Mm -hmm. and you were literally made into a machine i call it the machinification of the human body right? right so you are you are expected you are forced sorry you are forced to turn a screw in a particular way over and over and over again all day long that is what most american working class people were reduced to in the 19th century right uh, and by the way, many historians have said that is the worst existence of any working class in human history. To be an American working class person in the 19th century was the worst person to be <laughs> in terms of position yeah. in society ever of all societies. Right? Yes, yeah. many historians have said that. Um, <clears throat> so that so that's intense self discipline, right? And that goes for the capitalists as well, right? You've got to do the planning. You can't party all the time if you're going to sort of manage the factory effectively, right? It is the machinification of the human soul, the human body. Human sexuality gets repressed. It must, right? You can't be having sex or even thinking about sex when you're turning that screw all day long, right? So that's intense repression that goes on. Max Weber, another very important sociologist, has said that already. So that goes on. Um, But then, you know, what are these workers often producing, Right, they're producing things that appeal directly to our quote-unquote basist desires. Yeah. Right. So I tell my students this is true. I happen to live about six blocks from the world headquarters of Girls Gone Wild, the corporate headquarters. Right. And they're like, "Ooh, whoo, that's so funny." And I say, "Yeah, well." And I happen to know someone who worked there. And I say, "Well, you know, what do you think the?" offices of girls gone wild looks like and i'm like it's it's like hot tubs and chicks and bikinis and (laughs) and champagne and cocaine they're doing like lines of cocaine off the top of their macintosh computers right yeah and they're like no it's probably a bunch of cubicles and people sitting there quietly all day long wishing they were having sex or going to the beach or going to the movies or doing cocaine or doing all these other things but they're repressing themselves right but what they are producing is a direct assault on all puritanical values, right? There's capitalism. That's you know a what that fascinating is? system.
2: That is the steam engine. Um, maybe. Create pressure. A, allow a, a slight uh, a way for the pressure to escape and use that to drive what you want to drive
0: but the but the steam engine does not subvert itself. see that's what's interesting about capitalism that's why I think it's so fascinating. Well, it, it
2: does in the sense that I mean it's it's boiling the water, creating the steam. the steam needs to get out. And so you control how it goes out. Yeah,
0: but the energy that comes out of it does not, in itself, threaten the existence of the steam engine. Whereas it can blow up. Well, no, but whereas you know, um, the girls gone wild videos actually do. They actually do directly threaten puritanical culture. <laughs> they, they they threaten the, the discipline that's required for capitalism to to operate.
2: So well, it's always but then at war how? Could, itself. Yeah, I don't know that it really threatens it though. You know, I, I feel like if it really threatened it, it would be you know the the guy would be with Edward Snowden hiding in an airport somewhere. I know he's he's actually gotten well, into legal trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just
0: proved <laughs> my point. I, know, I just stepped no, in Joe the shit. Fra- there. So Joe Francis is the head of it, right? And right? It's not you know if it's not actual legal prosecution, which by the way he has faced many times. Yeah. Um, and Paris Hilton. Right, was put in jail for something no one else would do any time for. That was one example. But it's not. It's that's less important than the constant shaming that is done toward. So those people. So Paris Hilton is a great example, right? She represents the whole thing, right? So she is loved, right, for the fact that she doesn't work, that she does cocaine, that she has sex whenever she wants to, that she goes to Vegas and parties all the time, right? She is loved for that, but she is also hated. Yeah. I mean, people hate Paris Hilton also for exactly those reasons. She is doing exactly what you are not supposed to do. But would if you could. Yeah, but would <laughs> if you could in a puritanical culture, right? Yeah. So she is the cultural contradiction of capitalism, right? Yeah. One person I love Paris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're
2: getting all worked up. Wow. Do, yeah. I've never seen anyone care about Paris Hilton. That I do. Much. That's interesting. Well, I, I certainly agree with you. You ever read or uh, heard of a book called The Erotic Engine? Uh, no, uh, you, sounds good, though. Yeah, you would, <laughs> it would help you a lot with this theme if, if you ever want to keep developing it. The idea is that every advance in communication technology um, from the first photography through a videotape and, you know, Polaroid, blah, 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 all the way through the Internet, every advance has been financed by – Sex industry, porn. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Porn. VHS, internet, yeah.
2: right? Everything, porn. Totally. The first online purchasing technology, yep. porn. You know, yep. so there, and, and still today, and you probably know the stats. It's something like forty yep. percent of all Google searches are for yep. porn. You know, there's everything. It drives. It's and and it exactly parallels the the thesis you're making, which is that it's all sort of subterranean. It's all not talked about. It's all, but it's hugely important in right. the development and the trajectory of the. Culture, right? Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. So now, okay. The thesis, uh, Bell's thesis, is that this is intrinsic to capitalism, right? But what would he or you say about societies that are able to integrate these things better, like uh, Holland or, the you know, the Scandinavian countries on the one side, which are still very controlled, or Latin countries yeah. that are less controlled? I mean, so
0: I, I don't know. I mean, he, he's talking about America, and I have been, too, Um for this country, right, it's been inflected with Puritanism, right, yeah. because it was basically founded by people who were actually Puritans or very much in, in, very much influenced by Puritans, namely the founding fathers. They were very Puritanical, um, and we can talk about that as well when we get into Philadelphia. Um, I think you know the argument would be that all all capitalist societies have that inside of them that that conflict,
2: and is that because but, you, but you some need are to sell? Be,
0: but the but the Civil War that that engenders, I think, would be less vicious
2: perhaps yeah given other cultural influences see that gets me back to the steam engine thing maybe uh, you don't like that metaphor but the, the, it's freudian in the sense that mm-hmm. you repress a natural energy right. and then you capitalize on the controlled release of that energy you know another way to look at it is there, i don't know if you read a book called born to run came out same year as your book and my book 2010 um great book uh Uh, mcdougall chris mcdougall he basically he loved he was a runner he loved running jogging you know and then his knees started giving out he was in his 40s or something his back always hurt and his doctor told him like it's over you know you gotta swim or whatever and uh he he's uh he wrote for outside magazine Mm -hmm. i think and uh he saw a story about the Tarahumara Indians who live in northern Mexico in the Barranca del Cobre, in the, the Copper Canyon, it's called. And they're still quite a hunter-gatherer, quite so-called primitive. Um, and they have these festivals where, as part of the festival, they'll run these races for three days through the canyons on, on bedrock. Uh, and they wear these sandals that they make out of old tires. And that's all they wear. no No padding, no nothing. And these guys run into their 80s. I do know this book. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was a big bestseller. Yep. It's, it's a great book, and it sort of gave rise to the whole five-finger shoes That's that right. people That's wear. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, his point is that Nike and the other shoe companies taught people to run wrong mm-hmm. and then sold them expensive shoes that partly compensate for the damage they were doing to their bodies by running wrong. So it's you know part of the whole capitalist enterprise is create – a need that you then fulfill. Yeah, I don't. I don't buy that. You don't buy One that. One bit. No. Why not? <laughs> um,
0: so, um, well, it's a con- well. So, do capitalists create needs in us? Um, meaning, do they create desires?
2: Sure. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. So, uh, here's my quick answer:
2: the Studebaker, right? Here's Great song my, by Warren
0: Zivon, by the way. I, <laughs> then I have you know, dozens and dozens and dozens the, of others.
2: Studebaker as what? As car, a failed cars, car? Cars, yeah. So car, Or the Edsel?
0: Not the Edsel. Not, yeah, Ed not just failed cars, but cars that had massive marketing campaigns behind them, right? Where millions and millions and millions of dollars were spent telling people to want this thing. And the people... Turned it down. The second, you, okay, second but wait, industry you, where this hold on. Just, right, right. The second industry where this is really plain, but uh-huh. it's true for every industry is Hollywood. Right. So the, the number of Hollywood movies that, that fail is roughly, the percentage is roughly 90%.
2: Yeah, but you're looking at individual examples. I'm talking about structural things. I'm saying the need for cars Mm -hmm. is created by zoning laws that say you can live here, but you can only set up a factory there, and the only way you're going to survive is by having a factory, and we're not going to let you have bus service. But that's the state doing that. Well, state or, you know, state and corporate are very hard to distinguish in many ways to drive well i like the story of la you know the consortium that bought out the early uh mass transit system in la and then ran it into the ground so that they could then sell more cars and so on isn't that an example of creating the need for cars and then filling it where it could have not been created so there's a word for that
0: for the state and capital collaborating And the word is corporatism. I like that word a lot. So corporatism, um, first of all, is the foundation of fascism. And this is just true. If you look at the history of Italian fascism, that's the word they used, and that's what they explicitly called for. They said, you know, capital and the state need to be like a family. They need to run the family together like a mom and a dad, right? Um, So that is – that is that. Of course, has been in most places where there's been capitalism. Or everywhere where there's been capitalism, there has been some corporatism, right? The, the state has aided capital in
2: all kinds of ways, right? Yeah, the dad was <coughs> the state, right? Yeah. And now the dad is the corporations. Well, I don't,
0: I, don't, I don't, I'm
2: not sure about that either. Yeah. yeah. Citizens certainly... United. You don't think that's when dad took over?
0: Oh well, no. So if you want to talk about Citizens United, <laughs> we can do that too. <laughs> this is going to go on <laughs> See, all. I, live, day. I told you, I live to fuck with liberals, Chris. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I got all the ammunition. For that, all right. Um, first of all, the ACLU is is uh, for Citizens United, um, but and so is Glenn Greenwald. But so I have some Glenn Greenwald. I have some good liberals on my side there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, no. So does, does the state create desire? This is important for you. This is important for you know sexologists. Well, I, I wouldn't
2: say the state. I would say corporations. I'm sorry. That's what yeah. I mean. Capital, yeah.
0: No, no. Does capital? Do, do corporations? Do capitalists create desire? Do they create sexual desire?
2: Well is it the entire advertising industry about creating desire, creating demand for things that don't need to be made?
0: So if they were able to do that,
2: they would all be successful. Well they do it, but they're they're usually
0: unsuccessful, right? Most ads are unsuccessful. Well that's because they're competing with other products,
2: right? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, nobody needs uh, you know, whatever soft drinks. There's right. there's nobody, no need. Nobody needs an iPhone, right? Nobody needs an iPhone. That's true. Well,
0: yeah, I Nobody mean, needs any, any of these things or very few of these. Very, very, very few of these things do we need. Right?
2: Well, but then, then it gets into a more subtle conversation because then we're like relating back to what I said about cars earlier where if, we, if, if a, a structure develops in which you need something to exist within that structure. Oh, sure. So, for example, you're not going to get a job without a college education. You know, a decent job. That's sort of been the way it's set up now. So then you have to go to college. Well, you can't afford college. Well, we'll give you these loans. Oh, okay, so now there are these loans, and you can't ever declare bankruptcy, so you can't ever get out of the loan. You're trapped, yeah, so you're and already, you do sort of need those right, things. So you already named two things that
0: are run by the state. Right. Student loans.
2: Well, and,
0: corporatism, right? Because yeah, the student loans right. are guaranteed yeah, so by I'm the market state. I'm a guy, but, and I'm an anti-corporatist. So uh, I like markets. And right. I don't think in a market in a free, competitive market, I don't think capitalists can ever create desire first of all. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, and the evidence again, is overwhelming the number of capitalists who are horribly unsuccessful.
2: but' even don't accept that argument because you're saying you know a lot of movies fail.' <clears throat> yeah, fine, 90 percent. but with huge market, but behind. Hollywood is a
0: massive worldwide power only so long as it gives us what we want
2: you don't think it shapes what we want you don't think in other words do you think you, you think markets respond clearly and accurately to pre existing human desires that's your position no, I don't
0: think there's pre existing i think there is a give and take i think they are part of the conversation but they
2: don't ah. create it they don't create desire so what's their part of the conversation
0: They, they, so ask any Hollywood executive, right? I mean, they, (laughs) I used to be related to one, right? And they, they, well, no, I mean, think until I screwed everything up. Exactly. That's right. (laughs) Everything's about you, Chris. Um, (laughs) No, I mean, and she, and she's a major Hollywood executive. She, um, you know, spends all of her waking hours trying to figure out what the fuck we want to watch, hmm. and they do these um, what do they call it? test screens and you know yeah. uh, focus groups, right? right? Endless focus groups and surveys and this and that and the other thing, and then yeah. they still fail ninety percent of the time. Um, so if they now where does you know where does the desire what where does the desire come from that they are trying to find right? What's the source of that? I don't know. I don't know, but it's outside of them. Now, once they find what we want, we want another G.I. Joe movie. Well, they're going to give us another G.I. Joe movie. Now, how often have they fucked that up too, right? How many sequels have been total failures, right? They've been given the formula (laughs) on a silver platter, and they still fail to give us what we want. So um, the market is very important in my argument um, because if you look at all my renegades – If you look at jazz, rock and roll, cosmetics, if you look at prostitution, if you look at gangsters, if you look at prohibition... Uh, The people who subverted prohibition. If you look at the saloons in Philadelphia in the 1780s where all the blacks and Irish and Indians were dancing and fornicating and drinking together. If you look at booze, if you look at drugs, Mm -hmm. if you look at pornography, if you look at much of gay culture, which revolved around bars early on. Sure. If you look at all these things that were the source of freedoms that we hold so dearly now but which were so attacked, so viciously attacked then – they're all driven through the vehicle of the market. So without the market, the distribution of them, the, the expansion of them, wouldn't, it either wouldn't have happened or would have been much slower. So if we didn't have nightclubs that charged admission – Right. And paid their workers in New Orleans. And then we had them in Chicago and then we had them in New York. Right. All commercial capitalist enterprises. Right. We ain't got no jazz. We ain't got no rock and roll. We ain't got no nothing. Right. Because maybe we would, but it would be like there would be a village. Yeah, in, in what we call New Orleans, where they play this music, but you had to walk
2: there, right,
0: <laughs> to go hear it. Yeah, because right, there's so no
2: no vehicle
0: for the like expression in, of desire for like that. Like in pre-capitalist yeah. societies that you know quite right. well, right? So, yeah, um, so true. the vehicle it, it. So those things can exist, but my God, it's hard to it's hard to
2: access it without the market. Yeah. So um, do you see Steve Jobs as a renegade in that sense? Um. Mm, how so i mean well he, the fact, like he, he said that lsd taking lsd was the most important thing he ever did and you know going to india and so he sort of i guess what i'm saying is that there's a sense in which even someone like steve jobs broke with tradition was an outsider yeah. and it was only his he's He's being unconstrained by the expectations of typically successful people um, he wasn't teaching any he dropped out of college right
0: yeah so the i mean the capitalists who are who who get the title renegade are those who violate or subvert social norms right they break the rules Yeah, as so part like of the, the mafiosi who yeah, you know, yeah. who allow jazz to happen or, yeah um, uh, jobs i mean what social norms did he break i mean you know he he gave it. He did this. He made these things that we had never seen before. But it wasn't like you know, Rick Santorum was getting up in the Senate and denouncing you know Macintosh for you know subverting American yeah. civilization. Uh, I'm glad he existed. I'm really glad he existed. I
2: he was him. a hacker too. He was ripping off the phone. But companies. you know
0: what I mean. Like in terms of cult, major yeah. cultural norms, I don't see what he subverted. Now, yeah. However, the way we've used his instruments, right, has subverted the living shit out of our norms in beautiful ways, liberatory ways, um, until the government comes along and decides to regulate the Internet, right, (laughs) whenever that will happen.
2: So do you think – to what extent
0: do states still exist? Hmm. Well, of course, they exist everywhere, right? Do they? Look at the number of people who die every single day at the hands of a state, nation state.
2: (laughs) Is it a state?
0: Oh, I don't know. What is the Marine Corps?
2: That's not Halliburton? Exxon?
0: <laughs> well, who who pays Halliburton? Without without the nation state paying Halliburton's bills, does Halliburton exist?
2: I you know, Halliburton Bechtel, you know, like when Reagan got elected and it was like of his, you know, the fourteen people in his cabinet, nine came straight from Bechtel.
0: Sure. Corporatism, again.
2: Yeah, again. That's yeah. I mean, the mother father thing yeah, sure. resonates with me to the point where it's almost like, you know, Dad is now the, for me anyway, uh, uh, dad is okay. the corporations and mom just
0: is crying in the basement. Order. Here's how I understand it. which the, the fundamental difference between the state and capital and the reason that the state holds the upper hand in that relationship is that the state, by definition, holds a monopoly on violence. Okay? That is, by definition, what a state is.
2: Okay? Well, Glenn Greenwald would disagree with you there, as would Jeremy Scahill mm. Most of the people in Afghanistan weren't in the army. They were private mercenaries.
0: Right, but they're higher. Blackwater. Yeah, but they're paid by the state. Right, but the state. Who is the state? Right, fifty percent of senators. Oh, they're just retire they're just, oh, yeah, and become they're just, lobbyists. They're just franchising the monopoly. Uh, yeah, That's all, no, but that, but they still own it. They still own the monopoly. Well, who's they so you, in the this state? Case. The nation state. So you cannot here. Here's the thing. You cannot exercise violence in our society, abroad or at home, without being licensed by the state, without being an agent of or being licensed by the state. Right. That's the monop- It's like McDonald's. You can't have a McDonald's franchise without the McDonald's parent company right.
2: giving you the right to do that. But if the people occupying the state are corporate leaders, then what's the distinction? I mean, Dick Cheney, before he ran the country, he ran uh, Halliburton, you know, so he wrote, right, he comes from Halliburton, he brings a bunch of people from Halliburton to write the EPA laws overseeing drilling operations. Right. So what the hell's the difference between the Bush administration and oil? It's one's interest.
0: So what was Dick Cheney's interest in doing all that stuff? Well, I think
2: it was consistent. Well,
0: well, hang on. So so people often use, and it's a great example. I mean, this is where Michael Moore gets completely (laughs) messed up, as he does with most things. Um, Dick Cheney Chose to move from Halliburton, where he made how many millions of dollars a year, to being the vice president of the United States, or, well, he was Congress then senator, but, you know, for what what was his salary there, right? Why would you do that if you were really interested in the interest of Halliburton primarily? I don't think so. I think Dick Cheney and people like him, people who seek state power, are interested in that. They are interested In in power. Now, if you want power, if you want... Where, where can you get the most power in the world? And I'm arguing, and I think it's pretty clear, the where you can get it is in the United States government. The higher you get in the United States government, you will have the more power. You will have more power than Google, Apple combined. You can obliterate a, an entire nation right now. You're you talking about that. the power of violence. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what it all rests upon. But you can also incarcerate people
2: instantly yeah, but
0: with that monopoly of violence. I, I you can, th- you can I, also yeah. expropriate. Property, okay, so, so
2: let's talk about the overthrow of the government of Guatemala in, what, 1954? Sure. Right?
0: Yeah.
2: Now, the CIA mm-hmm. provoked that and carried it out. Right. Right? Absolutely. At whose behest? At the behest of the United States. The United Fruit Company.
0: Which – so, right. So, corporations are, v- for me – Um, And people who have this thesis, they are vehicles, corporations, multinational corporations are vehicles for state power. See, I see it the opposite way. I I, I I think the state is the henchman of the corporation. But it doesn't make any sense because the state has a monopoly on violence. So So the state has, and by the way, the state constantly is... Taking property from corporations through eminent domain because of their monopoly on violence. They have liquidated, they don't often do it, but they can and they have liquidated people's property. Right.
2: Including giant corporations. But you don't think the Wall Street thing Or
0: severely regulated them in ways that corporations don't.
2: But they're not regulating them. That's the whole problem. Wall Street is completely unregulated. The SEC hasn't prosecuted anybody.
0: So if I guaranteed to you Uh that I would Make up any loss that you have, even in the trillions of dollars in your business. Guarantee, right? Is that not regulation? That's giving you a blank check. No, that's not
2: regulation. That's mom saying, here's the the credit card, go have a good time. That's not regulation. That's nothing. Well, there's also an SEC. There's the also, SEC doesn't do anything. Stack of, <laughs> the
0: only guy who tried to do anything <laughs> was Spitzer, and look where he is. Well, regulation up. in the sense of positive regulation, right? Which is that we will protect you. This is regulation, too. We will protect you from any vicissitudes mm-hmm. in the market. Yeah, but that, well, that's what the bailout was. Well, a regu- Right. Yeah. But right. that's not regulation. It's positive regulation. <laughs> it's like what's a parent? No, it's a parent. A, a parent, yeah. a parent okay. regulating the child is also protecting them from danger, right? There's corporatism. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, I, am I
2: more radical than you? Is, oh, no, is that absolutely. what's happening? I'm more radical than anyone. Really? I It feels like I'm more radical no, 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 because no. I'm saying this is all bullshit and you're saying there's yeah. actually some sort of uh, conflict between the state and corporations. Whereas to me, it seems absolutely. like honestly, I feel like the state at this point is like, you know, the Steelers. It's a distraction. It's a way to get people not thinking about the reality, which is that nobody gives a shit if they're playing for the Steelers or the Cowboys or the Giants or whatever. It's a job. It's about money. And if somebody pays me more and my contract's up, I'll go play for them. That's the truth. The uniforms and the cheerleaders are to make us think any of that shit matters. It doesn't. America... England, UK, you know, whatever, it's bullshit. What really runs the world right now is the corporate power. And it seems to me that in the United States in the last decade or two, corporate power has completely taken over the government where you have the, the Koch brothers now running, you know, starting the fucking Tea Party right and everyone's saying why isn't occupy wall street as powerful as the tea party well because you don't have a couple fucking billionaires you know hiring buses and sarah fucking palin sorry i'm going off on a rant <laughs> <don't> here <laughs> that's fine with me uh okay well fox news give yeah. me a fucking break fox news isn't a, a, yeah. journalism so it's an so adjunct Coke, to so the, the Koch right Koch wing brothers so the
0: Koch brothers um do you know what their position on gay marriage is
2: well, I know one of them they're, supports the they're, metropolitan they're, opera, so no, it must be pro. Okay, so
0: they're pro gay marriage. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what their position on the drug war is? They're for legalization. Do you know what their position on foreign policy is? They are for radical cuts in the military budget. I am not pro Coke, by the way. I am just saying left wing discourse about them is usually really ignorant. But so well, why so, anyway, so, yeah, so okay, if they fair. so if they run the world the Koch brothers. Why, well, why is like marijuana them. illegal? Because they're for legalization of marijuana tomorrow. That is their position stated well, as it's. Such. it's notice cutting. what's happened since why? they've
2: become prominent in the marijuana debate. But they're opposed debate. to that. That's what I'm saying. The opposed Koch brothers are opposed to. Well, no, I'm saying the legalization is is taking place. Is oh. is uh, you know the well, the momentum behind legalization has well, picked up a lot. In the meantime, the federal government is
0: ramping up prosecutions of marijuana dispensaries, yeah. right? So, yeah. if the Koch brothers control the federal government, I don't understand this. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> I guess another way to sort of sort through this is to think about people's interests and motivations. And we talked about this for a second here. Um, you know what what motivates. Corporations, right? And is what's sort of nice in a way is that it's simple and understandable. Every It's clear as a bell. It's totally transparent. It's profit, and that's right. it, right? right? So generally speaking, uh, they are amoral, which is actually what I like about them, right? They don't attempt to impose morality on us. Um, they just want they just want to make money, however they can do that, right? right. Regardless of morality. So in many ways, sub- so that's one of the things I like about the market. By the way, is that it's been really, really subversive, and this is very important of traditional cultural norms. Really subversive, right? In all kinds of ways. That's why you know Rick Santorum and company rail against Hollywood all the time, right? So if Hollywood, if corporations are controlling the government, then why is the government screaming about corporations all the time? Um, so they're motivated simply by profit, unless they're psychotic. I mean, there's been occasional capitalists who right, you know, want to you know, influence morality through corporate, but they lose through morality. They lose, usually, because people don't want that, generally speaking. Okay, so we know what they want, right? What do people who seek state power want? And as I said, I mean, I think it, there's no way to explain it except uh, they want power. They want power, and they have found the best vehicle for power. If you want the power to slaughter, incarcerate, deport, take property in mass numbers, there is only one place where you can do that, which is at the head of the United States. And why
2: do people want that kind of power?
0: That's a very good question. I don't have an answer to that. I mean— I don't know. This is I'm fa- That is the question I am most fascinated by in part because I can't answer it. I just, I just sort of punt on that and I say some people are just like that and some of us, most of us, thank God, are not. Um, here's, a, here's a little twist in my book though and my argument that kind of throws people off because they think, oh, well, you just want everybody to be renegades and prostitutes and hookers and gangsters and drunks and da-da-da and slackers. And I'm like, well, actually, no, on the fourth or fifth page I say very clearly if, we ha- if, if everybody was that – The garbage would never get picked up, right? Crime would be rampant. I would never leave my house. I'd be terrified, right? It would look sort of like Haiti, you know, but worse, right? Um, But uh, so we need, unfortunately, we need those those controlling paternalists, you know. Mm. Um to do that shit work that we don't want to do. No, so like so you know <laughs> like the Mexicans. So when these exp- well, no 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 no, not that shit work. I'm talking about, you yeah, know, know deciding you who lives and dies. Well, keeping the Yeah, keep keeping the, things orderly, right? Yeah. I don't want to make the trains run on time, you know.
2: Yeah.
0: Um I don't want to in- I don't want to impose social order, but there has to be some. Now, what I'm saying is in that civil war, which is in every society pretty much, right? Mm. No matter how large the state, you know, there's always that civil war between the individual and the community, right? Yeah. <clears throat> there's those who take the side of the individual or who just are the individual and don't even think about it. Those are my people, by the way. They're just Uber individuals. Man. Well, they don't even think about it, right? Yeah. My people are not – they're not political in that sense. They don't write manifestos or <laughs> give speeches. They don't go on strike. Have they never you know, written a shit. manifesto? They just do stuff. <laughs> they just do bad stuff. Yeah. No, really. That's – my people just do bad stuff. They yeah. play bad music. They walk in public alone. <laughs> they drink too much,
2: you know. So, what do you think of they're uh, gay, whatever it is? So, in that civil- <laughs> hey, wait a minute, you've just associated bad. being gay with you know getting drunk in public and stealing shit. Yeah, well, it was it was bad <laughs> bad in quotes, Chris. You know what I'm saying here.
0: uh So, in that civil war, we're gonna piss every-
2: off everybody. Here.
0: Yeah, I know. I've already done this. um <laughs> There's nothing new. No, no, no. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah bad yeah, quotes. I know what you're As yeah. Run DMC yeah. said, not bad meaning bad, but bad meaning good. Right. Um, so in that civil war, don't seek to replace the controllers. Because then you just become the controllers, uh-huh. right? So I'm not into revolution. I think that's a really bad idea. And if you look at the history of revolutions across the world, that's what happens, right? I mean, generally speaking, Eat the, the revolutionaries boss. become the controlling assholes. Same as the old and, and, yeah. you know, Look at South Africa, right? I mean, the stuff they've done with AIDS, et cetera. Um, the Soviet Union. It goes on and on. So but, is but there that, hope? Hold on, But in, in that civil war, uh-huh. take the side of the bad people. Why? Because that's where freedom comes from.
2: What kind of what the hell is freedom anyway? Well, that's okay. We have to
0: define that, sure. Yeah. So some academics believe don't believe in it as a concept. They think it's 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 doesn't exist. But I define it. I mean, it's there's so there's okay. So there's the American definition of freedom, which is a really really weird one. Yeah. But it's the one we operate by. It's it's kind of the 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 center of our culture. The freedom to regulate ourselves. Oh, as
2: opposed to the, the king. The
0: government. Yeah. So, right. So that's what it all rests on. So this is actually where I
2: differ from. Representative democracy is freedom. Um.
0: Yeah. Well, no, it's more. I mean, the core of it before gerrymandering. It, no, the core of it is
2: that I will have my farm. Mm uh-huh. hmm. Or my little business or my big business. I can dump my shit in the river and no one can stop me because I'm Rand fucking Paul. Well, right.
0: I will have have my wife and my kids and I will live an upstanding life. I won't drink. Uh I will be monogamous. Um, I won't dance to nigger music, et cetera. Um, Therefore, the state should not control me. Right? Because um, I'm one of the good guys. So that's classical liberalism, which yeah. is also now libertarianism, which is where I, I – that's where I differ with libertarians. Like, not all of them, but a lot of them are into that.
2: By the like, way, we're sitting in the studios of Reason TV, right. which is a libertarian Correct. TV Correct. channel. They're they are better on this than most. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, they like a lot of libertine
0: culture. Libertine.
2: Yeah, libertine and libertarian. Different things. Different, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and in fact – so libertarians debate each other about this, whether or not it's a libertine thing or not. And some, most of them hate it. See, I'm libertinian. No, I know. Think. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And that's why we mostly like each other. Except for your bizarre <laughs> liberal politics. Um, no. I thought it was not, radical. They're not bizarre at all. I they're thought it was standard.
2: radical. How do you know it's was liberal? No, they're standard, man. Are you kidding? Oh, God. I, I hear it every was... day. So what do you think of Breaking Bad talking about? <laughs> oh, my God. it's uh, the, It starts uh, it's almost, a, yeah, Sunday,
0: sec- uh, a few days from now. Yeah. That's how much I love it um, No, I've watched every episode Very, very interesting it. in the illustration
2: yeah. of the points you're making Yeah, here. that's right yeah. Um,
0: So, you know, it's pretty clear that the most successful
2: mo- um,
0: Model for cable television Has been shows that um, Depict uh, People who are supposed to be Upstanding citizens Like teachers and housewives Um Who are enmeshed in illicit activities like drug dealing, right? Or flip it around like Tony Soprano was a bad guy who was in therapy right, and and a dad. And a good dad. And a good dad. dad, Yeah, a loving husband. So it's that, it's exactly right. So that, in a a sense, I mean, I think HBO owes me some money or something, a commission on this because, you know, it is the Daniel Bell thesis. They sort of understand the attraction, I think. You're making me think about this for the first time. Yeah, it is the the Daniel Bell thesis. Um, It is that contradiction in our culture. That those characters
2: embody that contradiction. So it's hedonism and
0: puritanism, the, the clash between the two, which is so fascinating right which i that's so i am just endlessly fascinated by but
2: how far back does that go and that goes uh, godfather would would fit into that well, sympathetic you mean bad in, in, guy in entertainment or in america <laughs> well, no in in entertainment i'm thinking because oh. i mean the sopranos was sure. revolutionary in a sense in in going with that so much but then you could say breaking bad uh, boardwalk empire weeds. i mean there's weeds yeah exactly there's been All, a slew of them, of them afterwards right. but i'm just i'm trying to go beyond sopranos and, you know, you could certainly say I think the Godfather series sure. were sympathetic killers. and Because they, they were good family men. Bonnie and Clyde. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. A
0: romance, right? Yeah. Very traditional in some ways, but also, of course, doing all these bad things.
2: Yeah. So it's, the idea that it started with the Sopranos isn't isn't no no. Really I'm just right. saying. I'm yeah. just
0: saying that cable operators have have discovered that as the winning as formula. a great formula, great yeah. formula, and yeah. I agree with. Them, and Breaking I'm Bad, Jesus, well. yeah. And it might be the best of the bunch.
2: I break. I, I just on the flight down yesterday, I watched a Charlie Rose interview with. Um, the creator of Breaking Bad, whose name I don't remember right now. Vince Vince Gilligan, yeah. yeah. Uh, He had been a writer on um, uh, X-Files. And uh, he was talking about how he got this idea because he was talking with a friend and the friend said something about how Uh, There had been a case of kids getting poisoned because their parents had set up a meth lab in the basement and the kids were getting toxic fumes in their bedroom or something. And that clicked for him like, wow, mom, dad, meth lab. Mm. Interesting. And he had this idea like Tony Soprano starts out with the contradiction, whereas his idea for Breaking Bad was to take the main character from the sympathetic high school teacher right. who's just been diagnosed with cancer, all the way to the dark end of the spectrum, right. through you know five seasons or whatever it's been. Right. So it's interesting that he saw it as a journey as opposed to an exploration of the of the conflict within the character, right. like in Tony Soprano true. or Weeds or whatever. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's
2: it's everywhere in our cu- in our culture. I mean, it's it's constant, and we're all criminals. That's the beauty. I mean, you talked yeah. about uh, you know the. Uh, the, the cross, what's it, the, the jaywalking laws, mm-hmm. you know, we're all breaking laws constantly, yeah. laws or, we don't even know exist or more in many importantly, cases. norms. We're breaking cultural norms constantly. Hmm. You know, I've broken yeah. about
0: 50 in this interview, but I'm nor, I'm not normal. But yeah, no, I mean, we're constantly breaking norms. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Do
2: you know Louis C.K.? You're talking about the oh my God. saying nigger. It's did my did, you, hero. did yeah. you ever, what yeah. he says about that? Because yeah, yeah. I, I it. it really sums it up. I mean, every time someone says the N-word, I'm just like, are we in fucking third grade well, here? you know, and the C word for and me, the, this
0: word. And for me, those who most strenuously object to using <laughs> the word are those who feel the most guilt about their own racism, hmm. actually. I think those who protest <laughs> that much are actually hiding something that they're very, well, I they're mean,
2: very ashamed but of. But there's a legitimate... You know, desire not to offend it. Well, we're talking about, okay,
0: first of all, let's be clear about how we, you know, what we're talking about and the ways we use it, right? (laughs) Yes, of course, if you're using it deliberately as an epithet, you know, to put someone down. Right. Of course, that's going to. (laughs) But I'm talking about using it to talk about history, right? The way I was just recently, you know, in this interview. And it's like, that's, the word was everywhere in American history. I mean, people. Yeah. Americans used it all the time, very glibly. Right. By the way, blacks and whites and everyone used it. Yeah. So if we don't, if we're going to talk about, America, about American history and we use the N word, right. It's like talking about the Constitution and saying the C word. I mean, yeah. it's that fundamental. <laughs> it's ridiculous.
2: Um, but Quentin it also, Tarantino, you must have enjoyed his last film.
0: Well, except that, yeah, except that he has nothing to say. <laughs> I, I don't know what he's. I mean, he has yeah. things to show. Yeah. But I think Tarantino has not much to say. That's an interesting point. That, he's, that, a, he's a brilliantly
2: extremely. Talented. Enjoyable to watch, but you're right. What's the underlying yeah. important message? I'm glad.
0: There? I mean, I do. I do value that he is interested in violating taboos. Yeah. But just violating a taboo doesn't turn me on nearly as much as saying, Yeah,
2: this is a taboo that shouldn't be a taboo. So what? What kind of? You're obviously very interested in popular culture yeah. and so on. Are there particular films or 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 fictional books that you find uh, resonate with your vision of history?
0: Yeah. Uh, black exploitation films.
2: Oh, really? Okay. Well, do you and Tarantino have that? Yeah, in but common, he doesn't.
0: Right? Actually, he does. Uh, he's not nearly as effective. Well, because he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, <laughs> I think he doesn't have, <laughs> he is about. It. But so, black exploitation. If you look at if you look at black exploitation films of the late '60s and early '70s, what they do, I think, is essentially what I do, which is to say, is to take stereotypes and then invert them hmm. in terms of values. Right. Right. So. Um, yeah, you know, the, stereoty- the, the blaxploitation films basically say, yeah, you know, we take drugs and so do you, but we take drugs and we're not ashamed of it. Yeah. Yeah, we have sex outside of marriage, but we're not ashamed of it. And we're better at it. Yeah, we don't live to work. We work to live yeah. and we're not ashamed of that. Um, so, yeah, we don't think the police are always Right and we're not ashamed of that. Yeah, we don't always obey authority and assume it's correct, and we're not ashamed of that either. So it's it's a I'm very interested in shame and shamelessness, right? That's kind of what defines all of my renegades, right? It's shamelessness. So the black exploitation films are that's really what defines them, is shamelessness. Now, those things are all part of, you know, classic black stereotypes, right? But they're saying, "Yes, that's we'll who we are. Right. Don't you wish you were too?" Right. You fucking uptight white people, right? Um, and that, by the way, goes for gay culture. Very right. similar stuff goes on there. It's and like
2: linguistically, goes... it's re- with the word nigger, right? Or queer, or
0: queer and nigger. Say, happen.
2: okay, you call me that; I'll call myself that. Then what do you got? It, yeah. and it's more. And it's more than defanging those
0: words. It's also, again, I believe, in many cases, it's, it's celebrating what those cultures are. And uh, there's hmm. a, I think he's a crit- literary critic at, at Oregon. I can't remember his name Um, African American scholar professor who says the same thing he was on 60 Minutes saying this he was like yeah I use nigger all the time because I love what it represents Hmm. (laughs) and (laughs) so it's not just saying you know Oh well let's use it so that it no longer has power. in fact, I think he was saying, and I agree with him no let's let's use it and let's 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 let it have that power, but let's invert what we think about that power right what it means let's invert what this is all about, Chris is it really when you get down to it is what we think about sex <laughs> so everything comes down to sex in my view, all roads lead to sex, hmm. which is so if you think that sex is good or positive or just neutral or just sex or you know. And that's it. Then that flips everything on its head. That yeah. flips everything we think about: black people, about gay people, about right. women, about all about children, Masturbation. about mas- everything. Yeah. All those grou- all those excluded groups, all of the epithets we've used against them. Once you think that sex is good, become
2: compliments. Which. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, sex, eros, is the ultimate subversion. It's the ultimate subversive right. power. because, And this is something I think Freud got right, that civilization is deflected erotic energy. Mm-hmm. And so if you stop deflecting the erotic energy and let it express itself naturally— well, <laughs> Civilization falls apart because mm-hmm. nobody wants to work. Nobody gives a fuck. Nobody's buying crap to try to cover up, you know, or fill that hole, that aching hole in the center of their soul, because they don't have that aching hole in the center of their soul anyway. You're making skeptical, yeah. Movements I mean, again, so, yeah. okay. So I want to, first I've, of all. I've slipped into Michael so, Moore land. So the capitalism apparently.
0: thing is still bothering me. I just want to make <laughs> clarify. No, I do want to clarify. Really. So I yeah. am not anti-capitalist. I am. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not pro-capitalist. Oh. I am not pro-capitalist. Uh, I'm not even in some ways I'm not pro-market in that. All I'm saying is I just think it's it's better <laughs> than than state regulation. But uh, I agree. No, and I the, agree. No, but, whole, but you know, one of the reasons I am not pro-capitalist is the, is the reasons I laid out with the Daniel Bell thesis, which is that capitalism requires. Now it gives me lots of stuff that I value, right? But it requires discipline. Max Weber said it requires the Protestant ethic, which is yeah. totally repression of sexuality in the service of labor, Right. sublimation, what Freud calls sublimation, right? And Freud, it makes the same argument. I am very much a Freudian on this, right? I think it is sublimation. You know, it's like they take that energy, that sexual energy, and they channel it into making widgets. Right. Um, so that sucks. It so does sucks. suck. So that's why I'm always uh, – on the favor in this on the side of workers who are opposing work discipline, who are interested in getting more money from the boss, who are interested especially in reducing their hours, who are you mm. know, I am totally pro labor. It doesn't mean I'm pro union necessarily because unions often are just institutions that are designed to control
2: workers too, and that's another story. That's
0: in yeah. my first book, but anyway,
2: um,
0: no, but I'm very very pro worker.
2: Were the Irish, I- in your knowledge of colonial history, were the Irish ever um, as Oppressed his blacks?
0: Oh, yeah. So I have a chapter on the Irish in the book. Um, so they were absolutely called niggers when they got here. They were called
2: white niggers. White niggers. Yep. That's my uh, rap name.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. good. White yeah, chocolate. It fits you. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, in fact um, Social scientists at the time Were really obsessed with these weird people Who got off the boats Even though they looked like all the white people here They clearly were not yeah. So there were lots of books written about them And the general conclusion was that They were, this is amazing People can't believe this when I tell them this that, um, The general conclusion among academics Or scholars who studied the Irish At the time Was that they were Either of African origin or the missing link between apes and humans. <laughs> really, <laughs> um, but generally speaking, uh, get this: inferior to Africans. Oh, really? The Irish in the in the respectable mind actually occupied a lower status.
2: Wow! For a while now. Because they didn't work as hard. Well, that's
0: right. So they so the big the first influx of Irish immigrants was in the eighteen twenties and thirties uh, to build to dig the canals that connected the Erie the, Canal. The, all, well, the, all the canals that connected the Atlantic Ocean with the Great Lakes. Uh-huh. This whole network of canals. Oh, okay. that, that was where that was how all the things were transported right before roads yeah. um, and tr- and before railroads. Um, <clears throat> so shitty work, right? Oh, my God. You know, it's it's, it's, it's ditch digging. Ditch Ditch digging, yeah, exactly. On a massive scale. So the Irish were brought here to do that. Well, so they get here and they drink gallons of liquor all day long while they're working. They slack off. They dance jigs. They play music while they're supposed to be digging these ditches. Right. Then the bosses start to crack down. They bring in, the co- bring in the cops to discipline the workers. And so what do the Irish do? They start blowing stuff up. Good for them. So they've just dug this whole canal, and then they, then they plant dynamite and blow the fucking thing up. Oh, nice. The Irish were just they, – then they controlled, <laughs> they controlled the fire departments in the big cities in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. New York, and Boston, which were private, by the way, by then. They were not mm-hmm. state-controlled. Mm-hmm. They were private companies which competed with each other. So they would actually race to the fires. Really? Um, So what they started to do, though, was to set fires so that they would have business. Um, So, you know, these were some quote-unquote bad people. Um, They were also in the process of developing essentially the first American party music. So they lived in slums in the cities with blacks. So Irish and blacks live together, often in the same buildings, and but always in the same neighborhoods. Um, slang. So much, I have a whole section on American slang. Um, most American slang was created by either Irish immigrants or blacks. Really? Yeah. The, there's a great book about this called How, How the Irish Invented American Slang. Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of slang words were invented by the Irish. Um, mm. Of course, we all know African-Americans invented lots of slang words as well. Yeah. Um, so they also were in the process of developing with African-Americans tap dancing. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Michael Ventura talks about yep. that. So yeah. com- tap is a combination of the jig and West African
2: dances. Right. Um, hey, is it true? Uh, this is another yeah. thing Ventura mentions in his book, that 80,000 Irish women and children were sold into the slave markets of the West Indies yeah. under crime. Well.
0: So indentured servitude. Yeah, some some were slaves, and many were indentured servants. But yes. it
2: fell apart because the They're white the plantation white, owners so, didn't want to buy white slaves. Yeah, so
0: there was some. There were some. Um, yes, legally defined. As such, uh, irishly, he said that That's as
2: it. late as 1800, Gaelic was spoken uh, by slaves, black slaves in the in the Bahamas. Or the, There's quite
0: a bit of intermixing, yeah. yes, in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, he
2: yeah. he actually says that some of the Irish pagan tradition uh, influenced the development of Voodoo. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. Um, so dance, so vernacular dance, jazz dance, rock whatever you call it, rock dance, hip disco, hip hop, all that stuff, you can trace to that original confluence of Irish and African slaves.
2: And the tap dancing, if I remember correctly, came about because they outlawed the playing of Conga drums in New Orleans because they thought the, mm. the slaves New- were
0: communicating? It was invented in New York City, actually. Oh, was, oh really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, I, that's jazz. Well, jazz. So con- Congo Square was. Right. Yeah. So the slaves used to congregate. Jelly roll it? Morton. It not, no, that's before, way before. Do you
2: know what jelly rolls means? Uh, uh, it's a donut. Pussy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a pussy. A jelly roll is a pussy. Huh. So his nickname was like, yeah. you know, Pussy Morton.
0: Um, that's an interesting story. Um, Blues, so jazz and early blues. uh, You know, we think of it as you know these really noble, uh, (laughs) old black men sitting on the porch in Mississippi. You know, have the truth to tell, and you know it's all this noble savage bullshit, which comes out of a white savior complex. In my Uh, view, no, it was drenched in like sex and violence. You know, if you look at early blues lyrics, it's like it's just. It's like a Quentin Tarantino movie, basically. (laughs) A really brilliant historian named Mary Beth Hamilton has written about this, and she nails it. Um, But there's all this attempt to sort of, you know, make black people into the purest, the most pure of us all, right? Yeah. Kind of inverting the stereotypes, and all you do is you whitewash this history, which was actually really liberatory for all of us, right? Without African American culture, I'm leaving this country. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's nothing interesting. What what do we have here? African Americans and gays especially you know yeah. Jew, you know Jewish immigrants right. I, they, good god we are living yeah. in prison We're yeah. living in something yeah. or
2: like a public school or something um, um, I'm sorry to keep peppering you with like can you confirm but I don't get sure. to, I don't get to speak to uh, people who know history as well as you do very often sure. I remember someone told me or I read somewhere that in the old south it was uh, customary to have the boy the you know the black young men who uh served the the food wear like a formal shirt and jacket and no pants
0: um there may have been some of that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, there's, I have more interesting
1: things
2: the, to say. Because the whole lynching, you know, was <laughs> yeah. all fear of black men' oh, sexuality. Yeah. Sure. And all this. Right. So that really stuck with me, that image of, like, you know, black guys with especially long penises are the ones who are serving the food to these proper plantation owners and their friends. There's a
0: lot of interesting stuff um, about slaves and clothing. Um, And self-presentation generally Okay, Mm. so Puritans and Victorians said and still say And people get very confused about this Ostentation is bad Right Okay, so that's the business suit The business suit was invented for that very purpose It was invented in the 1830s um, for Victorian reasons Of basically hiding the body, making everyone look the same Right right? It was sort of anti-sexual Now, it took on sexual connotations later But it wasn't intended for that, right? Right um, <clears throat> ostentation of all forms was bad. That's why, you know, women couldn't wear bright colors. Only whores wore bright colors. Right.
2: God, I wonder if that's associated with Darwin at all. And his, oso- his calling attention to the bright plumage oh. of, you know, involved oh. in mating behavior and all that. Uh,
0: but it's oh. certainly true that that was the rule. Right. Yeah. So if you were a good upstanding, and this is very important towards American and white person, <laughs> You did not wear bright colors. You did not wear jewelry. You didn't wear feathers. You didn't wear anything that was ost-
2: ostentatious. Okay. Guess what slaves thought about that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the great scene so, in Tarantino's last film where he tells oh, I the haven't guy, actually seen "You it can yet. Ju- Oh, you haven't seen I'm it? I'm going to go see it tonight. I uh, have it; it's literally on my desk. Oh, really? Go see it oh,
0: oh, there's. It yeah, you'll know what I'm talking about. Oh well, about he, when so you he did it. get something right. That's good. Yeah. Um, no, so in West Africa, of course, you know, bright colors were central. Oh yeah. And Clothing always have been. Um, but more importantly, slaves were never invited into this repressive culture, right? People see, again, people see that as a bad thing. And in many ways, it absolutely was, right? I'm all for access to drinking fountains and public space and the vote, absolutely. But they were excluded from this culture that was just a piece of shit, yeah. right? And so what it did was it actually gave them this freedom to develop their own, which was influenced by West African culture, but wasn't just that, it was their own. What African-American culture is not African culture. It is definitely influenced by it, but it is its own thing, right? So one of those things was a celebration of the body mm-hmm. and what you can do with it, right? And we can show it off and that there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a beautiful thing. So that goes for dancing, right? In these unrestrained ways, you know, it wasn't just the waltz,
2: right? Ventura says that... Rock a jazz dance. The dance you're talking about, unrestrained dance, was the first time white people ever danced without choreography. Correct. That is is such an important historical moment.
0: Well, respectable white people. So Uh there were whites all the way back to um, the 18th century who were breaking the rules. It's in my book. I found every example of whites dancing. I have a section, four chapters. Like in a Bruegel painting. But weren't they still like in a circle or something? Yeah, so four chapters in the book, um, which is a section entitled How White People Lost Their Rhythm. (laughs) So it's about – so dancing is – dance and dancing is really important to understand any culture, I think, and it's really understudied with American history. Um, There have been proscriptions against dancing since the Puritans got here. Um, But there were always renegades all the way back to the 16th century. There were these whites who would run off with Indians into the woods and start dancing around something around the fire, or there was maypoles, or they would dance with slaves. All these examples, these beautiful examples.
2: There were dance rebellions in Europe as well.
0: Oh, sure, yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah, where they go out in the streets and dance in Italy or whatever. May Day. So May Day. Uh um,
0: May 1st, right? The maypole. That was an English, uh, uh, lower class English tradition that was brought here, Uh um, and was done right down the road from Plymouth Rock in this new colony called Marymount, which was this libertine colony founded by this guy named Thomas Morton. And they invited the Indians in to party with them. They had erected a maypole. They had dances around it. They drank whiskey. They fornicated openly. Well, what did the Puritans do? They established the first militia in American history, Miles Standish. You may have heard of him, oh, right? Oh, yeah. so That was him. He was the head of that militia. They marched down the road, chopped down the maypole, put everyone in prison, killed the Indians. That was the beginning of the Civil
2: War. Beginning in of our the culture. end. Yeah.
0: Well, no. It's still being waged. It's a civil yeah, war. Yeah, right. It's always been waged. No one's ever won it. Um, no, but so dancing, yes. Yeah. So whites whites have broken the rules all the way back to the very, very, very beginning. Hmm. God bless them. those who did. Um, but yes, so in the 19th century, though, to be respectable, this is when the rules came in in, bi- in a big way. All these dance schools were established. Manuals were written about dancing, proper dancing. Right. Even the waltz for a long time was considered to be too
2: sexual. Oh, really?
0: Because <laughs> well, there was some touching that wasn't right. But then it was the waltz, you know. And what's the waltz? The waltz became the, the most respectable dance, right? And what what is the waltz? I ask my students this, you know, like <laughs> what 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 uh, what shape do you move in in a waltz? It says it all: a square. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> right, making the body into a square. Square dancing. Like, well, no, square dancing is different, but yeah. So, um, but there were all these rules. I mean, there's incredibly long manuals about mm-hmm. how to dance properly that were given to respectable, usually upper class and middle class American whites. Um,
2: but so, just to, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, Mike. so
0: jazz. Yeah, so jazz, of course, jazz. Slave dance had no rules, right? And yeah. You know what? And then that gave rise to jazz dance. Spontaneity
2: versus rules. Rock dance,
0: which gave rise to all these. Now, hip hop, you know was that way too and now but now it's kind of getting now there's like you know all these white kids taking hip-hop classes and there's like hip-hop summer camps and you know i'm glad for that and uh, we can talk about white appropriation of black culture but you know it's there's something there's some rules coming into hip-hop that's kind of bothering me too it's the spontaneity of it of of basically this is all slave dance it's all slave dance that we're talking about this all that popular vernacular dance it's all slave dance in my view do you know the theory of why africans
2: dance like that there, there's yeah. a, I mean, there are competing theories, I'm sure, but the theory I'm thinking of, I, I, I used to study ethnobotany, mm-hmm. uh, and the only theory that I really know of that explains why Africans dance uh, the way they do compared to North and South American Indians, and why the complexity of African music is so far, so far beyond anything that was found in Native American groups, is that in North and South America there are lots of hallucinogenic plants. Mm-hmm. And there aren't in Africa. Mm. There are very few hallucinogens in, in Africa, and those that exist are very toxic and, and like, very traumatic, like Ebola. gain. So the idea is when people wanted to enter an altered state, a trance or whatever, over here, they take some mushrooms or peyote or whatever. And in Africa, they use the, the complex rhythms and the dance. And you see it in voodoo as, you know, dancing until the spirits uh, occupy your body and— mm. Well. I I once worked as a, I was talking about hip hop, I once had a job, this is on my, my resume, mm-hmm. Ebonics to English Translation. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's for a film festival uh, that I know, one of my former grad students is one of the people
0: who coined the term and wrote the book. Just, oh, really? Uh, basically arguing on behalf of Ebonics. Yeah. But
2: I've now been told that that's an offensive term. Somebody I, I used it in an interview with a black guy, and he was like, "Ooh, people don't say say bonics well, well, anymore." It it's got smeared, yeah, because it got so smeared. But yeah, who can keep? Uh, that's why I'm uh, not an John, academic. John God. and Russell Rickford. That and the prohibition on sleeping with students. But yeah. <laughs> it'd be a terrible academic.
0: Uh, yeah, John and Russell Rickford. Uh, John is at Stanford, and Russell is now at Dartmouth um, as a professor. And Russell is my
2: graduate student. You don't seem old enough to have former students who are I'm, full-fledged professors i'm a young soul man um you dye your hair or something yeah i think we're the same age uh, <laughs> well, then, then i've been living wrong i don't know man.
0: it's drugs and drinking yeah you, know, you gotta do more of it
2: yeah okay uh, dance what well, we were talking about dance spontaneity oh i was going off on the tangent about ebonics to english translation oh, ebonics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: so let's talk about ebonics for a second i mean i did in a, in a way slang you know so if you take out people who broke rules, right? We ain't got no slang, so to speak.
2: Ain't got no, yeah.
0: Right? I mean, and now, well, I, you know, I love this. I mean, now everybody, everybody like politicians, when politicians start using words you know it's respectable, right? Politicians use word like
2: words like diss now. Right. You know, I mean, suck and suck. Do you remember when suck meant, like, sure. suck a dick? Yeah. You know, right? like, that sucks you'd never say it in front of your mother, and now your mother's saying well, it. Oh, I will say that suck is slightly homophobic, but... Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, or misogynistic. Only, that's, that's I mean, problem, one or the other, you know. Homophobic, But anyway, yeah, because, you know, you suck used to mean you're a fag. You're gay. Well, if you say it to a man... Yeah, but I, think I think, but I think that's
0: the origin of it.
2: Yeah, I think because I remember. But in any case, my yeah, anyway, my point yeah. is that it originally meant suck dick, yeah. and now yeah. that's been lost in what twenty years? I mean, it's it's strange,
0: right? Right. So, but um, so much of American language, American English, is from the scum of the earth. Yeah, much of it. Who we, write the best poetry? So respectable now, you know all these words, um, and that goes, you know you know alcohol uh, why is alcohol legal? right? Remember it was illegal for a while there for more than a decade during prohibition. Well, who subverted that right? A lot of people did, but every single bottle of alcohol consumed in the United States during prohibition was handled at some point by a gangster right. Like like Kennedy the, or otherwise. Well, yeah. They were the front lines. They were the shock troops subverting that ridiculous <laughs> law, right? So, well, that brings us back to your market argument. Right? Uh, well, that too, right. Yeah. There was an immense market for it. And yeah. They were the ones willing to violate the norms to meet that demand, that market demand. Um, So, yeah, thank a renegade.
2: Um, we can go on and on. Walt Whitman. Yeah. You are a Whitman fan? Uh, He's a renegade. Sure. Yeah. Well— both in terms of language, sexuality—I mean, he was—he was breaking all the rules. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I suppose, though, that he was still playing. F- he was still writing for a respectable audience in many ways, though.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure.
0: I mean, he became respectable pretty quickly, if
2: not immediately. Well, I remember uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson got a pre-publication copy of "Song of Myself" and. Made a trip to New York to meet Whitman right. because he was just so blown away by right. it. But I mean, there's Whitman writing free verse, ho- homoerotic, sure. you know, just oh, sure, and Melville as well. I mean, Moby Dick. There's all sorts of homoerotic stuff going on. Sure,
0: here. I guess. Okay, so I guess my it's not that I've, I don't have any issue with Whitman um, or Melville. It's that they it, that they what they were writing for was a very uh, narrow audience. Very, very few people, right? The literate, elite, the literate yeah. elite, yeah. Like, which is a tiny percentage of yeah. the population. It was especially tiny then. Whereas the people I'm looking at, you know, produced very popular cultural forms right. that you know permeate the culture now, yeah. and so they have mass effect. Um, but no, I'm all for Whitman, that homosexual.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right, listen. Yeah, I, as you say, we could go on forever. but, <laughs> sure, yeah. but I, you've got things to do. Um, the book is. A Renegade History of the United States. The author is Thaddeus Russell. It's on Amazon. It's everywhere. I bought it there myself. It's a fantastic book. I'm sure you'll see a huge spike in sales. I better. When my 25 uh, listeners go out and buy it. <laughs> buy it, you guys. Um, thank you very much for doing this. Thanks, it, it's really enjoyable it to chat with you.
1: What's the big deal? Feel you? what you want to feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn? Little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out